Greetings and salutations and welcome to the February 16th edition of Full Time, our bi-weekly show talking about the beautiful game of soccer to some and football to many. Full Time brought to you by the Game Sports Show, the Game Entertainment and Media, and sponsored by Thrush Creative. I'm your host, Scott Nason, as we are joined, as always, by co-host Daniel Scarpino. And Scarps, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. It's a good day to have a good day, and I'm certainly happy to be here. How are you, Scott? Doing uh, fantastic, Daniel, and uh, always uh, one of the highlights of my broadcast schedule is when you and I get together to talk about the world of soccer, and certainly uh, since our last show a couple weeks ago, lots of things has hap- have happened, rather. So let's get right to it with uh, things that have happened uh, just before we recorded this show, the Champions League uh, round of 16 has started. Four matches played this week. And, Daniel, let's get to the matches that just happened earlier today. Liverpool, they scored two goals in eight minutes in the second half as Firmino and, you guessed it, Salah score goals to lift the Reds to a 2-0 win at the San Siro over Inter Milan. And a bit of a surprise here as Salzburg, they almost sprung a big result today. Still got a very good result for them as uh, they would draw with Bayern Munich by a 1-1 score. Uh, Bayern would get the tying goal in the 90th minute. So just, uh, I know you and I both were chatting before the show, catching some of the action. Uh, certainly Liverpool looks as strong as they have pretty much all season long. And uh, nice result for Salzburg, uh, getting a draw at home against a very good Bayern team. Absolutely. And I think with Liverpool, we've been talking about it so much this season, Scott, that the one thing that if you had to pick in their squad that they lacked was squad depth but they strengthened and bolstered their squad in January and I think that despite the fact that they left it late against Inter today they were on the road and they still got two phenomenal goals and they take themselves into the second leg with a two-goal lead they look solid right now and uh, for Salzburg as you said it's it's a really big result it's not the the maximum result certainly that they would have wanted but now they at least give themselves a fighting chance going into the second leg so certainly two good games that went on today and uh, we'll have a few more coming up in the not so distant future. Yeah, anytime you can get a result at the San Siro, that's certainly good, especially when the second leg is back at Anfield for Liverpool. So they look in good position to advance to the next round. And uh, Salzburg certainly uh, gave it their all today, and they, they actually had a couple chances in that second half to take a 2-0 lead. But uh, the difference this year, Daniel, compared to last year, and actually you have to go all the way back to the 1960s as far as the round of 16 in the Champions League, no longer do you have the away goals rule so that goal by Bayern Munich while it was certainly big maybe not as big as last year because with last year if they played a nil no draw in the second leg Bayern would have advanced with that away goal not the case this year so I, I think we talked about this before but do you like that change with, with just going by the score and not going with the away goal well I like two things about it number one I like the simplicity of it and number two more than anything I like the fact that I don't have to explain the away go rule to non-soccer fans anymore. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, I actually do like it because it does make things a lot more simple, and it's just a matter of who's better over the two legs. And I, I, 
I do suppose that with the away goals rule, you know, teams set up differently as a, you know, in terms of going into games with maybe setting up a little bit more defensive if they're trying to protect something or if they don't want to concede at home. But I think now it just allows teams to play more open, play more free and play true to their identity. And whoever has the more, the majority of the goals and went on aggregate after the two legs, they go through. I think you hit it spot on there, Scarps, as far as just trying to explain that to somebody that isn't familiar with the world of soccer. And like you said, it's a more simple thing. I mean, if a team ties or draws 1-1 and then draws 0-0, they should go to extra time, in my opinion. Right. I think uh, UEFA got that right. There were a couple matches yesterday, Daniel. Uh, Manchester City, well, you think Liverpool looks strong? Manchester City looks as strong, uh, possibly stronger, as they absolutely destroyed Sporting in Portugal yesterday, 5-0, basically punching their ticket to the quarterfinal round, and really the... I th- I think the best matchup of all the four games so far, PSG and Real Madrid, that one looked like it might uh, be a nil-nil draw, but I'll tell you what, Kylian Mbappe, he was mm-hmm. Mbappe all over the field, <laughs> one of the best individual efforts you will ever see, scoring late and giving PSG a one-nil win, heading into the second leg in two weeks, uh, j- just a, a, a piece of magic by Mbappe, but you know, it's something that we expect, uh, we've seen it over the years, and uh, certainly he lifted PSG uh, to a good position heading into the second leg. Well, I agree with both uh, both things that you said in terms of each of the games yesterday, Scott. Man City, they look dominant as ever, and I mean, they barely put a foot wrong in that game, and they were their first half was just sensational, so they've already punched their ticket to the quarters. That's hardly a question. And then, uh, like you said about PSG, definitely the, the best game out of the four so far. And Kylian Mbappe, I would say, on individual quality, one of the best goals, if not the best goal we've seen in 2022 so far. I think that that would be fair to say. And um, I, I always believed that PSG was going to win against Real Madrid. A little bit closer comfort for them yesterday, but at the same time, it does set up a pretty interesting second leg, I would say. Matches will resume next Tuesday and Wednesday in the Champions League. The other round of 16 matchups sees Chelsea at home against Lille. Villarreal will face Juventus. And then on Wednesday, Atletico Madrid, that one's always hard to say for me, will take on Manchester United and Benfica will face Ajax. Uh, You know, those four matchups, Daniel, obviously we can't really do predictions as far as uh, who we think will go through uh, with this week's results. But of those four, uh, which ones are you looking at and what's the most intriguing matchup to you out of those four? Well, I have to say the most intriguing would be the Man United Atletico Madrid tie simply for the fact that Madrid and La Liga haven't been doing as well as they probably should be and all of the drama that's going on at Manchester United. I think that Chelsea should take care of business. Juventus will also, I believe, take care of business. And then I actually believe that Ajax, just given the form that they've been in all year long, that they will take care of business. So my eyes right now are on that Man United Atletico Madrid tie. Where uh, where are your eyes set, Scott? Well, certainly, uh, being a Chelsea fan, we'll talk more about them coming up. Uh, that, that one intrigues me the most just because that's the squad that I root for. But I, I agree, uh, at Atletico Madrid and Man U seems to be the best matchup of the four. Uh, Ajax, that's a team I've been high on since this started and certainly looking forward to seeing how they do. But yeah, I think, uh, Atletico and Man U certainly, uh, probably the marquee of the second group as far as matches. So we'll talk more about the Champions League here in a couple weeks. But, uh, Daniel, uh, one event that happened, uh, this past weekend in the United Arab Emirates. 
Speaking of Chelsea, they won the Club World Cup over Palermias uh, out of Brazil on Saturday by the score of a 2-1. to one. Uh, Chelsea owner Roman Abrahimovic was there. And uh, this, you know, this Club World Cup, maybe it's not the biggest prestige uh, or the most prestigious uh, trophy that you can win, but it's certainly one that, you know, shows that you are the best club in the world from uh, this past season. And they have now done something that only five major European clubs have done, uh, winning uh, every major trophy in existence as Chelsea joins Juventus, Ajax, Bayern, or Manchester United, and Bayern Munich. And so, you know, you look at Ibrahimovic, uh, he's put in almost $2 billion into this club since he uh, bought them back in 2003, and uh, obviously the success that we've seen with Chelsea uh, now winning another trophy. Uh, your your thoughts on the Club World Cup? I thought it was a nice win for Chelsea, and certainly as a Chelsea fan, very happy to see it. Well, a fantastic win for Chelsea, and uh, I remember congratulating you after that game on February the 12th uh, via text message, so it was completely and totally deserved. But what I don't like about the Club World Cup has nothing to do with the Club World Cup itself. It's the perception that it has and the, the opinion that people have of it in a negative fashion. Because right. if you think about it, people will say it's not a major trophy. Well, how do you get to the Club World Cup? You have to win the Champions League, which <laughs> right. is the biggest trophy of all. So right. really, it's actually an illogical argument. So Chelsea fully deserved to win it. And uh, I'm to be honest, I'm kind of happy that they did. Um, so I look on this tournament and this cup with, with great prestige. And, uh, yeah, Abramovich, I think he, Chelsea and Chelsea fans now reap the benefits of what he has spent since he came into the club in the early 2000s. And, um, they deserve to be where they're at. They have a phenomenal team. They have a phenomenal coach with, with, uh, Tuchel. So I think that there's even more success ahead of Chelsea, um, in, uh, in the coming years and, uh, even shorter than that in the coming weeks and coming months. Scott Nason, Daniel Scarpino with you on this February 16th edition of Full Time. And, Daniel, let's go around the big five in Europe as uh, action has heated up since our last show after the international break. And let's start in England and the Premier League. Uh, two teams have kind of separated themselves from the rest of the pack a bit. Uh, Manchester City, top of the table, pretty heavy favorites right now to win the Premier League. They have 63 points on just two losses this season. Liverpool a solid second now with 54 points. They've only lost twice, but they've had six draws. Chelsea a solid third, 47 points, and we got a quite a battle going on for fourth place in that final Champions League spot for next season. Right now, Manchester United with the win over Brighton yesterday in fourth with 42 points. You also have West Ham in there with 41, Arsenal with 39. You also have Wolverhampton in the mix along with Tottenham. So, Daniel, it looks like, barring something very unexpected, Manchester City will win the Premier League. And I would guess that Liverpool and Chelsea are pretty solid to be in the least Champions League position. But boy, that battle for fourth, very intriguing. You got a lot of teams uh, going kind of different directions. What are your thoughts on the Premier League? Well, I think you hit it spot on in the sense that Manchester City, and I said this a few weeks ago, that they are slowly running away with this. And I think it's pretty much a, a sign sealed, delivered type deal. Uh, I think that Liverpool can make things interesting and they can close the gap a little bit, but I don't think that uh, they will quite get to where they need to be. So the top three, as we see it right now with Manchester City, Liverpool and Chelsea, will probably stay as is. And what's more intriguing to me than the actual title race itself is the race for the top four, because you just mentioned their spots four through eight. 
completely and totally up for contention. You have teams that have games in hand. You have teams that have brought in players, teams who haven't brought in players, teams where managers are making a huge impact, teams where the manager is having a reverse impact. So I love everything about this top four race, and I can only hope that Arsenal can uh, can land themselves in there. But I still do believe that in some way, shape, or form, Manchester United is going to find a way to get uh, into fourth place. I think so as well, Daniel. On the other side of the coin, the relegation battle, uh, pretty interesting as well. You have, right now in the drop zone, you have Burnley along with Watford and Norwich City. Burnley is bottom of the table with just one win, but they still have a few uh, matches in hand, if you will, uh, uh, with those teams that are down there. You also have Everton, uh, who looks a little better after uh, signing Frank Lampart. Uh, Newcastle with their transfers in January, they look good. Is it going to be uh, Burnley, Watford, and Norwich? Norwich has played a little better as of late, but what are you looking for as far as the relegation battle? Who's really in trouble right now? I, I have to be perfectly honest with you. If I take a look at, and I've been looking at this for weeks and I developed something on it, if I look at spots 14 through 20, I don't know who's in trouble. And the reason why, yes, for the games in hand. However, if you go into every season, typically you'll say, well, I know two teams for sure that are going to get relegated, and I know two teams that are going to be on the fringe, one of which will just survive, the other will get relegated. I take a look at spots 14 through 20. I really don't know, and I think that this season probably more than ever, it, it does really come down to the managers because Burnley, Sean Dyche, he, he knows how to get a team out of relegation trouble. Watford, they brought in a manager in Roy Hodgson to get them out of relegation trouble, just as Norwich City did with Dean Smith. Newcastle, they splashed a bunch of money. Eddie Howe knows how to keep a team like Bournemouth up in the Premier League. Can he do it with Newcastle? Everton, Frank Lampard, and the football that they're going to play. Leeds United, always capable of conceding goals, always capable of uh, scoring goals with Bielsa. And then Brentford, they've dipped in form hugely. So I don't know what's going to happen, and I really don't know who's in trouble. I would say spots 14 through, uh, through 20, they're all in trouble, Scott. Yeah, I agree. It's certainly, uh, there's really no clear cut team, in my opinion, right now that you say, you know what, they're, they're going to finish on the bottom. I thought maybe for a time it was Norwich City, but we've seen them, uh, improve their form and certainly Burnley just the one win. Mm-hmm. But again, they still have about three matches in hand uh, on many of those teams. So. We'll just have to wait and see because in the Premier League and all the European leagues, it's not only the battle at the top, uh, it's as important, sometimes more, the battle at the bottom. Um, speaking of a battle on top, Daniel, in Italy, Serie A, what a race we got going right now. AC Milan in first with 55 points, one by one point behind them. Inter Milan with 54 points and one point behind them. Napoli in third place with 53 points. Juventus has moved up to fourth in that final Champions League position with Atalanta on their heels. Uh, we have the makings, Daniel. We thought maybe it would be this way in the Premier League. It looks like, well, it certainly is this way now, but it certainly could continue to be this way heading into May in Serie A. I would say so, Scott, and it's so riveting, uh, the battle at the top, and I got the chance to watch the uh, the Milan-Inter derby uh, the other week, and uh, it was a phenomenal match, and Milan certainly deserved to win it, and they find themselves at the top right now, but uh, it'll be interesting to see, but what I will say in regards to not just the top four uh, in Italy, but the top seven, the seven teams that we see there with Milan, Inter, Napoli, Juventus, Atalanta, Lazio, and Roma, those seven teams will all stay where they are at. They might move a position up or down one or two, but they're all going to be in the top seven. And as expected, I did believe that Juventus would eventually climb back into the top four. They have done so, and uh, they've been on good form as of late too. So some really cool stuff happening 
in City A, and uh, it's definitely a, a riveting title race right now, Scott. Yeah, it certainly is indeed. In La Liga in Spain, Real Madrid still atop the table with 54 points, four points ahead of second place Sevilla. Real Betis in third with 43 points and a good battle for fourth position with Barcelona up there now along with Atletico Madrid. Uh, They're tied with 39 points and Real Sociedad right behind them holding 38 points. So pretty good race all around there atop uh, La Liga. I would say so, and I think that Real Madrid, uh, after their second leg against PSG, they could pretty much just turn their focus to La Liga and trying to clinch uh, the title there because I, I do still believe that PSG will win out, and I think that Real Madrid will just ultimately put their focus in there and uh, become champions of Spain. And then, of course, you take a look at the positions uh, four through even seven, I suppose, really, because Villarreal are starting to knock on the door. They've been playing some decent football as of late. They had uh, a strugglesome start, many, many draws. But uh, everybody has, um, they're all within three points of each other. So it's an interesting race, but I still do believe that Real Madrid will top it and everyone else is going to have to fight for those Champions League places. Yeah, I would agree there, Scarps, indeed. In Germany in the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich still holding top spot with 52 points. However, a shock result last weekend as they dropped a 4-2 to decision at Bochum, who's uh, middle of the table in the Bundesliga. Borussia Dortmund in second place with 46 points. Bayer Leverkusen in third with 41. And how about this race for fourth place in a final Champions mm-hmm. League position, Daniel? Four teams tied with 34 points, including Leipzig, Hoffenheim, Freelberg, Union, Berlin, with Köln two points back, and Mainz and Frankfurt three points back. You talk about a, a race in the Premier League for that fourth spot. Holy cow, you got about nine or ten teams that are within two or three points of each other. Isn't that incredible? And when you really take a look at it from a holistic perspective, it's it's over half the table that's competing for the top four. Yeah. So that just goes to show the competitiveness of the league, which is incredible. Uh, as I, If I take a look at the very top with Bayern and, and people, I've been reading a few articles, are starting to panic a little bit, thinking that some team like Dortmund or maybe Leverkusen is going to close the gap. It's not going to happen because if you take a look in seasons like this when a team is so dominant, you are going to have slip-ups along the way and you are going to lose games here and there. Pep Guardiola has said this time and time again in every place that he has coached in and what's more riveting to me is that Bayern Munich is on track to score over 100 goals this season so uh, I don't care what happens in terms of uh, dropping points here and there Bayern are still going to top the Bundesliga and, and the, the race for the top four is probably going to be quite incredible. Yeah, half the table going for top four spots. That's what you want as as a league. That that's sure. competitive, and that's certainly uh, something going on in G- Germany this season. Uh, not so competitive as far as the top spot in League One in France. PSG still running away with it, top of the table with fifty nine points, thirteen points ahead of second place Marseille. Nice with forty two, and at Strasbourg with forty one. You know, of all the leagues that we talk about, Daniel, this is the one that you know probably I haven't watched a whole lot of I mean I've seen PSG but they they pretty much have this in the bag at this point you would think oh god yeah I mean there, there's there's no question that I'm not uh, turning on a game with St. Etienne and Lorient to watch but uh, <laughs> I, I do enjoy watching PSG from time to time because they are one of the best teams in Europe and they have world-class players all over the pitch and they should be doing as well as they are in uh, in League One so uh, they certainly will run away with it, and as we say on every show, it is all about what they do in the Champions League. They they looked a pretty good outfit the other night against uh, against Real Madrid, and moving forward now, they'll they'll do what they have to do in League One. But it's all about what happens midweek in those Champions League games, Scott. 
Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this February 16th edition of Full Time. And Daniel, uh, not just Premier League action happening in England, but you also have the FA Cup, a round of 16 here in a couple weeks. We'll talk about that on our next broadcast. And you have the Carabao Cup, uh, used to be known as the League Cup as Chelsea. We'll face premier rivals Liverpool in the Carabao Cup final in later on this February, I should say, as Liverpool knocked out Arsenal. Sorry about that. Two to nothing in the semifinal and Chelsea knocking off Tottenham Hotspur three nothing over two legs. Uh, The victory sees both sides meeting at Wembley on February 27th in the hunt for the first domestic title of the season. Uh, Chelsea hoping to get back Mason Mount, who was injured in that World or Club World Cup final last weekend as he, you know, again, hoping that he can be back. But certainly uh, we've seen other players for Chelsea uh, fill in nicely. Uh, Christian Pulisic, along with uh, Zytek and Havertz, they all got a lot of time in that Club World Cup. Uh, you know, this one, it's not the Premier League. It's not the Champions League. It's not the FA Cup. But you know what? It's a trophy. What are your thoughts, Daniel, as far as that matchup coming up here in about a week and a half? Well, and it's another thing, like we talked about the Club World Cup, Scott, of how there's this negative perception of it. Here's the deal. If you win a trophy in February, I don't think that people understand, unless if they've really been involved in soccer, what that actually does for the rest of the season. So if you even take a look at youth competitive sport, if you take a team to a tournament early on in the summer and you win that tournament, that sets your confidence absolutely sky high going into the rest of the season. There's zero difference here. So yes, this isn't as big as the Champions League. We get that. It's not even as big as the FA Cup. We get that. But these are two top teams competing for a trophy. Both will want to win. I take a look at this this matchup and I think probably Liverpool on paper probably have the upper hand. But what I will say is that Chelsea have Uh, performed better throughout this cup competition and Liverpool have had to really grind out results. So I think what's going to happen is I do believe that Chelsea is going to win this. I'm going to take them to win it on penalties. And I think what is going to happen, we might not actually see it on camera, but I think that Jurgen Klopp's going to tell his guys, don't forget this feeling because we are going to win something this season, whether it's the FA Cup, the Champions League. I think that Liverpool will walk away with uh, this season with uh, some level of, of hardware, some silverware. And uh, I, I still do believe that Chelsea will find a way to win this one, though. I think they will as well, Daniel. Uh, you know, obviously Mason Mount's a big loss, but I've been very impressed with Ziyech and his play. Mm-hmm. seems to be in some of the best form that he has uh, since coming over from Ajax in 2020. You know, he seems to have a little bit more of that flair that a lot of Chelsea fans thought they would get. And I think Havertz has done very well. And, you know, Pelusic, we'll talk more about him when we talk about CONCACAF. But you'll get all the matches that these guys play. And that's the thing about soccer is just there, there's no downtime if your team is, you know, in a domestic league and then in a FA Cup and then in the Carabao Cup and then in the Club World Cup and then in the Champions League. Then you have international competition. I mean, and you can see why Plusa kind of had a little bit of a, a moment there in the, the international qualifiers where, you know, these guys have to be in such good fit conditions, and they're and they're traveling all over the world. It's not like you're traveling from Toronto to Montreal or from New York to Atlanta. I mean, at sometimes you're. I mean, you look at you're going for the United Arab Emirates, coming off of the United States where you played in like minus ten degrees. You go to the United Arab Emirates, then you go back to England, and now you're going Champions League. I mean, the, the soccer calendar is just bananas. 
It's absolutely bananas. And I would encourage anybody to listen to, uh, even if you just YouTube it, Arsene Wenger or even Jurgen Klopp, they talk about this all of the time. Yep. And they reiterate and they state that the schedule is too demanding because it, it takes a toll on players' physical health and, as we talk about from time to time, their mental health as well. So the, the schedule is is quite crazy, I would say, and I don't like to use the word crazy, but it is. Even for me, Scott, traveling with uh, the university with coaching, we get back uh, from traveling from Sault Ste. Uh, Marie to Toronto or Toronto back to Sault Ste. Marie, and that's only a you know a seven, eight-hour journey. By the time you get back, you're absolutely exhausted. You just yep. said where these players are traveling to and from. So could you absolutely imagine how these players and these coaching staffs are are, uh, are feeling? So the the schedule itself, like you said, is bananas. It's it's quite off the charts. And I think that moving forward, there's going to have to be some level of reduction in terms of the schedule because, you know, are are we prolonging players' careers? Or are we hurting them? And that's a serious question that leagues uh, have to be asking themselves. Daniel, let's move to international soccer, and we'll talk more about the other zones as far as World, World Cup qualifying in our next show as the matches will resume in mid-March. Well, let's talk about CONCACAF. Uh, when we had our last show, there were still some matches to be played. Uh, Canada all but assured themselves of a World Cup bid via their 2 nothing win over El Salvador in their last match, winning their sixth straight match in the octagonal. Costa Rica, they knocked off Jamaica 1-0. I still have a chance uh, at least to get in the intercontinental playoff spot for fourth. U.S., uh, nice win in frigid Minneapolis over Honduras, mm-hmm. 3 to nothing. Uh, the U.S. in good position to advance, currently uh, tied with Mexico for second place. In Mexico, they knock off Panama at the Azteca 1-0. So all the teams have three matches left. The standings right now, and again, you want to be in the top three to automatically qualify for this year's World Cup in Qatar. Canada still yet to lose in the octagonal. They have 25 points. Mexico and the U.S. second with 21 points each. They will play each other in the next match day. Panama still alive. They have 17 points. Costa Rica still alive with 16 points. And uh, Jamaica, Honduras, and El Salvador, they have officially been eliminated from all competition. So, Daniel, before we look at the matches upcoming for each of the countries, uh, just your thoughts on Canada. I mean, they put themselves, uh, I wouldn't say they're in, but they're pretty close to being in, while the U.S. controls their own destiny as far as uh, them getting in. Uh, Your thoughts on Canada and the U.S.? Well, Canada and the U.S., I think they, they've given themselves definitely more than a fighting chance to get in without question. Like you said, the U.S. controls their own destiny for the most part, and Canada just has to keep delivering performances. But the thing that kind of stuck out for me was when Canada played El Salvador. The first goal that went, uh, that, the first goal that Canada scored, rather, it was, I don't know what the odds of that, of that goal occurring will ever happen again. But it was so bizarre that I thought to myself, if Canada's scoring goals like this, it has to be. It's meant to be. I'm sure It is meant to be. Right? So you just don't get those kind of bounces, or at least Canada hasn't over the course of the year. So um, I really do love what Canada is doing right now. It still feels very surreal, and the job isn't finished yet, so can't get too comfortable. But they certainly look like they will uh, be on the path for qualification. And then the U.S., they had a dominant performance against Honduras. Uh, a very frigid, like you said, very cold night, but at the end of the day, 3-0 victory, and I think that the U.S. and Canada are definitely on path to uh, to get that qualification for the 2022 World Cup. 
Yeah, looking at the matches uh, to play, again, these will be in March, starting on March 24th. Canada will be at Costa Rica, home to Jamaica, and at Panama. And looking at the standings, Daniel, and using my uh, Suhai math here, Panama with 17 <laughs> points and Canada with 25. So the most points Panama can get would be 26. So Pan- Canada basically needs two points in three matches, and they will get through. And so it looks very good for them. Uh, they may not win at Costa Rica, but they could come back and beat Jamaica at home. So Canada's going to be in. I don't think there's any question there. The United States, they will be at Mexico in their opening match, home to Panama and at Costa Rica. If the U.S. can get points at Mexico or won't matter if they don't get points there because they will control their own destiny if they can beat Panama at home. It won't matter what they do the rest of the tournament. It won't matter what Panama does. The U.S. will be in. And certainly uh, they do not want to be in the position where they have to go to Costa Rica in the last match day chasing points because we remember Trinidad mm-hmm. and Tobago and all the scenarios that had them going through and they did not. Mexico, they look almost assuredly to get through as well. Uh, right now, again, tied with the U.S. with 21 points. They have that match at home against the U.S. and then uh, taking on uh, two of the worst teams in the group at Honduras and El Salvador. And so they'll probably be a good battle for fourth. Panama right now one point ahead of Costa Rica. Panama is home to Honduras at the U.S. and then home to Canada, while Costa Rica is home to Canada at El Salvador and home to the U.S. So uh, that, again, will be in late March, and certainly we'll be talking more about that coming up in late March. Excuse me. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this February 16th edition of Full Time. And Daniel, it's hard to believe, but Major League Soccer will start the 2022 season next weekend, if you can believe that. The first match will be in Philadelphia as they will host Minnesota. 28 teams this season, 14 in each conference. And Daniel, I am making it a point to follow the MLS a little bit more than I have in the past, not only for this show, but just because I think it's a product that's improving. I I still haven't adopted a team. Maybe by next show I will adopt my team and the MLS. I don't have one right now, but I'm going to adopt one. And uh, certainly, you know, this this is a league, and it's been around for almost 30 years, if you can believe that, but it seems to be heading – in the right direction, uh, not just getting good players at the twilight of their careers, but now we talked about some of the signings there that Toronto did and getting some players in the prime of their career and developing players that we're seeing going on to national teams and uh, sometimes uh, the domestic leagues in Europe. So your thoughts on the MLS opening season, opening the season rather next weekend. Well, I'm so excited, and uh, like you said, I uh, can't believe it's already here because it feels like it just ended, and in a certain way, I suppose it kind of did, but right. <laughs> yes, definitely, uh, definitely happy that it's coming back ever so soon, and I think it's going to be a rather riveting season, and one thing you could say about the MLS is that if you take a look back 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, every single season, the MLS improves in some way, shape, or form. And yep. that is the sign of a good sporting league. It doesn't matter what sport it is. So the MLS is definitely continuing to, de- continuing to develop, certainly continuing to improve. 
And, uh, of course, as a Toronto FC fan, being Canadian and the closest team to home from uh, being in the Sioux, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do, even though Insignia won't be joining until the summer. But I think it's going to be another good season, and certainly uh, I always keep an eye on the MLS, and uh, it's good football to watch because, of course, it's in our own backyard, Scott. Yeah, I do like Toronto FC, Daniel, but for this show's purpose, we can't like the same team, so i got to pick right. somebody else. Uh, David Beckham, is this the Miami squad? Uh, Inter Miami, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's my team. I, ah, Miami, though, I don't like that. I'm gonna, I'll make a decision, Daniel, and on our next show, I will have the team that I'm pulling for in the MLS. I was hoping Detroit would get a team. I know there have been conversations about that, and you know, it seems like it's a, it's a pretty good soccer hub in Metro Detroit. A lot of youth soccer, and certainly a Detroit FC, a professional soccer team. They get some rabid crowds down there, so maybe Detroit someday, but until then, I'll pick a team coming up here on our next show. Daniel, before we end our broadcast, uh, local soccer updates, anything that you want to uh, inform our listeners on as far as uh, local soccer in the area? Well, last uh, last show that we talked about, Scott uh, informed everybody that we had just come out of our lockdown slash shutdown. So all youth soccer, youth competitive soccer was getting up and running and uh, as well as uh, non-competitive and recreational soccer. So everything was kind of back as well. Now what's happening is that high school sports are coming back. So that's kind of the, the one update certainly that we have here locally that not only are sports back in general from a competitive point of view and uh, even recreational point of view, but now as well high school sports are slowly starting to come back into the fold. So it's certainly glad to start seeing uh, – we're all, sorry, uh, glad – um, to start uh, seeing things coming back, Scott. Indeed, Daniel. And one other thing I wanted to bring up here before we end the show, I came across this just before the shows. It was uh, Arsenal's director, John Cronkey, who's an American. Uh, he was talking about struggling to understand the passion that fans of the club have. Now, Cronkey, together with his father, Stan, took ownership of the club back in 2018. They are American. And, you know, I, I found a couple quotes here very interesting. I want to get your thoughts on it. He quoted here, he was on a road trip and podcast. This according to Cronkey. He says, I listen to our fans here in America with our teams, but the level of passion that is involved in European football and support that goes into these clubs, I don't want to say it's deeper than anything we have over here but it's way deeper than anything we have over here. And this is the quote that I was really uh, struck by. It's hard to truly relate as an American or a foreigner heading into the UK, the passion that really goes on from the people that support these clubs. And I really never understood that, Daniel, until I lived in the United Kingdom. I was in the Navy for three years and followed soccer, you know, a little bit before that with the World Cup in 1994. I really piqued my interest and then, you know, following clubs in the Champions League. But until I actually lived there and just just was ingratiated in the culture and learning so much about not just the bigger clubs like the Liverpools and the Manchester Uniteds and the Chelsea, but also the small clubs and the small towns and just how passionate those fans are. It's really hard, I think, for a lot of people maybe that don't follow soccer closely or haven't been in those areas of the world to understand the passion. I can remember one time watching, you know, a relegation battle it was Newcastle United back in the early 2000s and they got relegated and they were just showing fans in the stands just, I mean, just 
openly weeping and like grown men that were weeping. And and it really struck me as just, you know, these folks just take this so seriously. And I just wanted your thoughts on this before we end the show is just, you know, it's a serious business over in many parts of the world. It is here to a point, and, you know, we have our own passionate fans with hockey and football, whatever, but there's just something different about soccer fans and their passion. Uh, there's nothing like it, Scott. And, I mean, like I said, you, or like you said, rather, you lived it for three years, so you got to see it firsthand. But, I mean, for me, being Canadian and not having the opportunity to live in Europe, I've just always felt the sense of belonging to the club that I support with Arsenal. So you feel that attachment and you feel like yeah. you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And for folks that actually live over there, and you could attest to it, there are people who live simply for their football club. They will yeah. work to get tickets for their football club. They will pour everything that they have into their football club and they will make every sacrifice to get the games home and away for their football club. And certain football clubs, particularly in those smaller communities, keep those communities running. They keep those communities going. So what I will say about the quotes from the Cronkies is that those quotes, and I don't mean to sound ignorant here, those don't come from a place of humility. Those do come from a place of ignorance. And the fact that they don't understand it by this point goes to show that they have been ignorant to the fact of what this means to people in uh, in the Arsenal community anyhow, but certainly in, in, in the sport of soccer, because if you haven't understood it for the time that you've been, uh, the owners of Arsenal Football Club, you're probably not going to understand it. So I would certainly encourage anybody to to really look into what this means to people across, uh, not just across Europe, but across the world, because soccer is the uh, the most expansive and biggest sport that we have. And uh, for some people, really, it is a matter of uh, of life and death, if you will. It really is. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of Full Time. Uh, Daniel, always a pleasure to have you on the show, and certainly uh, lots will be happening in the world of soccer over the next couple weeks, and we will be back for our next show on Wednesday, March 2nd. Have a great two weeks, my friend. Uh, we will be in touch and uh, look forward to having you back on Full Time here in two weeks. Always a pleasure, Scott. Great show tonight, and thanks for everybody who tuned in. Really appreciate it. We do appreciate it indeed. Uh, Lots of people listening to the show. Uh, We appreciate each and every one of you, and certainly we want to keep doing this throughout the season, every couple weeks or as needed. For Daniel Scarpino, my name is Scott Nason. We'll be back in two weeks' time on Wednesday, March 2nd, for our next edition of Full Time here on The Game Entertainment and Media.